back to the Access to Education podcast, where we discuss all things relating to students and persons with learning differences or disabilities. Today, I'm super pleased to introduce you to Shakira. She has a degree in inclusive education and, through this program, discovered her own learning challenge. She has taken the self-knowledge of herself and the education background to create Special Compass as a special education consultant. Is that what you call yourself or more of an education yeah. consultant? A special education consultant. I've got learning strategies. I've got all different kinds of names. So lots of umbrellas. In yeah. her work, she supports families to understand how to advocate effectively, how to understand the diagnosis of a learning disability, as well as how to take that and ap- apply all of that information to the post-secondary world and the workforce. So welcome. Nice to have you. Thank you for having me. This will be um, an interesting conversation because I am extremely familiar with the preschool elementary stuff, little less so with the secondary and especially the post-secondary short of my own personal knowledge, but it, I think it'll be different. So let's start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to create Special Compass. I think that story is really um, important for people to hear. Special Compass was kind of created based on like my own personal experience and education. So I always tell people I had to kind of go backwards and put the pieces together to understand where I am um, today and kind of where I'm going. Um, I was diagnosed with a learning disability when I was in grade two. Um, but at that age, you don't really understand what that word means or what it, what it really meant to me specifically. So I just kind of was upset because I remember when I was going back to school to start grade four, Um, My mother had to tell me that, you know, I'm not going to go back into French immersion with other kids, my other friends, I got to go into the core English. And at the time, I was just kind of more concerned of like, hey, why do I have to leave my friends? Like, why do I have to be so different? Um, And so I went to school, made new friends, some of them I'm still friends with today. And I kind of just like progressed through school, just kind of understanding that, you know what, math is not my strongest subject. Neither is English, but like, who cares, right? Just kind of going with the flow. Um, But I really took to French. Um, French was the only subject that I felt really confident in, I excelled in. Uh, When I got to high school, I picked up Spanish. So I really loved the languages. And when it was time to decide where I was gonna go for university, I picked uh, to go here in Toronto, York, and I was gonna do a double major in French and Spanish. So I started first year university and I was like, okay. And I kind of like, I, and I think that's a normal transition for any student, right? First year is kind of like a learning curve. You get adjusted into the new environment. So I just kind of figured, okay, uh, we're gonna do better second year. Second year came around, I was working harder and still wasn't able to kind of really improve my marks the way I thought I should be able and get the uh, grades that I thought, you know, were reflective of my true knowledge. And then third year came around and I kind of hit a wall. I felt like I was kind of putting all this time and effort. So if I had a class at noon, I was on campus at 9am in the library, doing um, professors, uh, tutorial hours, doing whatever I could do, get extra help, extra support. And somehow I still wasn't able to like budge beyond like a C. And a C for some people may not be bad, which is, I I don't want to discredit it, but um, I wanted to go into like grad school. I wanted to go into like pursue like other programs, which I knew a C average was not going to get me in. Um, So in all my frustration, I kind of hit a a wall. I kind of started blaming myself for my low grades and kind of 
was wondering, should I stay in school or should I not stay in school? Like, what is this? It didn't really make sense to me how like all of a sudden the one subject I loved so much for so many years was now kicking my butt in school. Just one day I was in the student center talking to a friend and we were, I was just like telling her my issues, kind of confiding in her. And she mentioned that she has a learning disability too. And I said, oh yeah, I have one too. And she started asking me all these questions I did not have the answer to. Um, like, what is it? Like, and all this kind of stuff. And then she's like, girlfriend, do you know you could get help? And I said, what? No. And she's like, yeah, there's like a whole department on campus that are able to help you and like all this kind of stuff. So uh, she took me to that department. I got set up and I spoke with a accessibility advisor. And by my fourth year, I was able to get all the resource, like the support and accommodations I needed. Um, but that was my fourth year. So by then I was kind of like mentally exhausted. I said, I'm going to finish my degree in Spanish and like I'll figure out, finish and come back and finish my French later on. Um, graduated, worked for a year. And when I decided to go back to uh, finish my degree in French, that's when I picked up my minor in inclusive education. Um, at the time, I was on this trajectory to also become a teacher, uh, right? So I wanted to go into teacher's college and I figured, you know, I know that some programs are more competitive. I figured inclusive ed would be a good way to kind of help me stand out when I submit my application as well, too. Plus, I also liked working with that demographic of students as well. Um, but it was really through my inclusive ed, like I had to take a course called Learning Disabilities. And I'm reading all these things in the textbook and I'm like, wait a second, this is not what happened in school. This is not what's going on. And it kind of really, uh, that's when the light bulb went off. And I guess that's when this whole uh, special compass was born. And the idea of realizing that there's a lot of information and resources out there that students and parents need in order to make the whole, make their education more, um, experience more, I, should, I don't want to say easy, but yeah, more accessible and stress-free. And I said, okay, I didn't want another student to have to relive my experience. And so that's kind of how I started Special Compass. I've been doing workshops in the community, helping students understand how to make that transition from high school to post-secondary, helping uh, students one-on-one, even if they're transitioning from like middle school to high school and just helping parents understand, okay, so your son or daughter has been diagnosed with a learning disability, this is what you need to consider next and help them to go through the education system. So it's been a very rewarding and uh, busy time, but I love it. And it makes me, reassures me that I'm on the right path and this is where I need to be. It's so awesome. It is a an overwhelming thing to go through as a parent, but even just as a student, like, I mean, I can speak from it from both sides in terms of my own kids, but even my own personal journey, right? In terms of the, the learning curve that has to happen to learn how to advocate and to be able to find the resources and services. That is that is hard. And that's a yeah. lot of digging and a lot of legwork. So it's, it's great when there's people who can support that digging and that legwork. So I think that's really, really awesome. So if we look at advocating. We know that as parents, it can be very challenging. So when you're working with parents, how do you support families to become stronger advocates? Because it can really be hard. It can be very overwhelming. And I think as a parent, you don't have the educational lingo (laughs) 
and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of different things, but it, it, it's kind of like going down a rabbit hole. And so how do you, how do you work with parents to help them kind of navigate that system? That's a good question. So I feel like usually when parents come to me, they're come, come to me in a very different mindset and states. And sometimes it's like you said, that there's a lot of information they don't understand. They're going to, you know, the meetings at the school and their teachers and everyone's telling them this and they can't really understand what's going on. So one of the first things I do in terms of like helping them to become advocates, really just sitting down and explaining them the whole, first understand, helping them to understand like their child's needs and their learning disability more in depth, as well as helping them to understand like the whole process and just understand a little bit more about what to like what's coming up so um i really take them from where they are right now so if like their son or daughters let's say on grade six right we're starting grade six i said okay well you gotta understand in grade six there's at the middle school level um there's a little bit more expectation for students right so these are the kind of things that they're expected to do um this is maybe where your child's at so that we should look at kind of getting these resources if they said, if sometimes it says in the IEP that they're going to have access to a Chromebook or something, I'd be like, okay, well, how are you using this Chromebook? Um, if they're allowed extra time for their test, like how are we making use of that, right? So helping them to understand how to either use a certain accommodations that are written out in their IEP to help them to be used, utilized more effectively and be able to speak up for that and just reminding them that and I think sometimes too, because uh, every, I mean, everyone's different, but I think sometimes too, some parents may feel a little bit intimidated, especially with a lot of the words. And um, especially sometimes, because I have some parents that come from um, the black community. So sometimes they don't, they're, it's, sometimes I've had parents there say that I'm not too sure if it's my child's being target of race or if it's actually something that I should be concerned about, right? Um, so I try to really kind of like, look at what's the situation, help them to break it down and just kind of like even ask them questions. Um, but then in terms of advocating, I tell them to like focus on, we gotta kind of see where they are right now, but also be prepared ahead of time, right? We don't want them to, for example, like going back to my Chromebook, you know, a lot of time it's we implement these technologies, but then sometimes the student may also need the training on how to use a technology. So what's the use of giving them a Chromebook if they're still like doing one finger key typing? It's kind of a little bit counterproductive, right? So let's also look about making sure that we're utilizing these accommodations, the technology more effectively and efficiently to help them to, you know, help them to excel where they are right now as well as to prepare them for the future. Yeah, it's no good to give them the resources if we haven't given them the how, right? Like the yeah. Chromebook is great, but if they're if they're seeking and destroying while they're typing, it takes way longer. So, you know, making sure that either they can type or they understand how to use voice to text, I think is really important. And I think for parents to know that like they can say, hey, my kid can't type, but they can use voice to text. So could we look at a voice to text system, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was in university, one of the programs that we used was Dragon, which was horrible because you had to train it and it took forever and it didn't recognize voices very well. It just wasn't, I mean, listen, it was okay for what it was when it was, Yeah. but now when you look at all of the technology that's out there, it's pretty awesome. Like it's the, the stuff that's out there to support is pretty amazing. So 
That's yeah. funny because um, I also had a hard time with learning dragon too in university. Oh my God. It was brutal. I remember it took hours and hours and I was like, I don't have time for this. I have to study for this or I've got this test or I've got to read this. Like I don't have time to sit and hang out with a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't time. Um, so how does advocacy in the workforce work? Like, have you done any work with those coming out of post-secondary and kind of moving or even high school kids who are like into the kind of the working force? Because a lot of high school students have jobs at this point, but they might have extenuating circumstances that make it difficult for them to navigate that system easily. So I'm wondering if you've got any experience with that and kind of what that might look like. So funny enough, I've also, in the last couple of years, I've been like a volunteer um, career counselor at uh, York's Accessibility Department. And um, that's a question that comes up a lot. So I can't say I have personal experience in that realm of disclosure. But what I do tell students and I've told other people in the past as well, too, is that um, really, I feel like you will know if you feel the need to disclose to your employer about a learning disability or whatever, um, whatever the exceptionality is. I know for myself in the past, I have never disclosed to an employer but someone may feel like they need to disclose to the employer. And if you need to disclose to the employer, understand that you, I, th- I should say it from two perspectives, like from the employee perspective, I think some employees are actually a little bit um, intimidated and worried that the employer may judge them, maybe even fire them, but understand that there are actually, they can't, there's laws against that. You cannot be dis- you know, dismissed for a disability, but, from an employee perspective, if you are going to disclose front to your employer about, let's say, your learning disability or, or your learning disability, or in this case, you should say, be open and honest with your employer, but also don't just say, hey, I have a learning disability. So you need to say, hey, I have a learning disability, which means that I have sometimes, it takes me a longer time to process certain things. Sometimes, especially if I have to write a report, I may need a little bit more time these are the this is like you want to say that this is the the issue but this is also what i need to be successful so if you give me a report and you need it by friday you give it to me on monday but you need it for on friday that's no problem please know that i may come in earlier to to make uh come in a little bit earlier stay a little late just allow myself the time to uh finish that report properly or i may just go into one of the boardrooms and to have a quiet space where I could focus on this report during those times. But please note that this is what I need to be successful in my job as well as to be successful for you. Yeah, and sometimes even too, because I guess when we're talking about technology, if you are someone that maybe like use some on your personal laptop, or for example, you may use some kind of extensive technology that helps you a lot. You could even mention that and then as an employer side, I think that'll be like, wow, I had no idea there was such a kind of technology that does this. This would be pretty cool. I mean, I know every industry is different, so it's not like you say you could take something from work and put it on a personal laptop, but if you're open and honest with it, I cannot see why an employer will not say, hey, let's look at getting this licensing for our product, or like, you know, for the computer. If this is what you need, and it's like maybe a $15, 50 bucks subscription for a year, this is what you need to be successful. I can't see why we cannot put that in our budget, get it installed and to help you. Right. So I think it goes both ways. And, but 
I guess from an employer side too, I would also be mindful to also respect your employees. They, they, if they choose to disclose to you, understand that that's something they're trusting you and that's something that you need to kind of keep personal. It's not, you don't broadcast it to <laughs> the entire team. Um, but if it is something in the sense where let's say, yeah, we, I think this software would be great. I think we should get licensing for it. And you may need to get a little bit of approval from higher management. Just please let them know that, hey, I think this is a great idea and I want to help you, but I'm also need, going to need some approve, approval from higher management. Do you mind if I, like, what should I say to, you know, this so we could get this approved? How do you think we should word this in our proposal and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of be, open and honest only as you're saying when you need to be when the when the situation arises so i can give a personal example to that so when i was in university i worked on a golf course for a summer and one of the things i worked in the clubhouse of so serving food and stuff and one of the things they wanted me to do was to go out to the ninth tee and be there kind of when they get to the halfway point and then people buy drinks and food and whatever but i knew that there was no cash register and i knew that i would need a calculator to do the math math because like you my dyslexia caused my math to not not be the best I mean it's fine I can function absolutely Mm -hmm. but I can't do it quickly And when I'm in a high pressure situation like that where you've got people waiting I knew that that wasn't going to work for me and so I was really open with my employers at the time and I was like listen like I've got this LD and if you put me out on the ninth tee I'm not going to guarantee anything. Like I will try and I will work hard for you and I will do what I need to do. But in order to be successful, I would feel more comfortable if I could stay in the clubhouse where I have the technology to use. And they were really accommodating, which was surprising for me. I thought maybe they wouldn't be, but they were really great. But to your point, I went to them and said, listen, here's what I've got. Here's what I need to be successful. And together we kind of worked as a team. So it probably also, it depends on your your working relationship with your bosses, like if you feel comfortable to be able to do that, right? So it, it mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to do. And I should also think too, like in your example, you provide them, you know, the solution, like this is what I need. I think there are employers out there that do want to help their employees, but they may not know what it is that you need, right? So we have to be, that's where I guess the advocacy comes in, tell them what we need to be successful in our roles and in our job. That's so important. It's just being able to say what you need, you know, to just go out there and say, I need this or I need an accommodation and then kind of leave it up to them to figure out that's not really advocating, right? That's just kind of saying you need something without saying I need to have this because of, and here are some suggestions and things that would be helpful. So yeah, that's a really good point. So as a young person in high school, I remember it was hard for me to advocate. I I learned to advocate. It took a while, but I got there for my own self. And it took a lot of courage and it took a lot of failed attempts. So what's the biggest piece of advice for a high school or post-secondary student when it comes to advocating for their needs? What kind of advice do you give them when you work with them? There's another good question. It's one of the things I think for me, I usually tell people for me that my people think that let's say having a learning disability is a weakness. So for me, it's not a weakness. It's actually my greatest strength. My greatest weakness was not advocating for myself and telling people what it is I need. So my tip for them is that there are people out there around you that want to help you and support you, but we can't do that if we don't, if you don't tell us that you need help. I know, especially in high school, like there's that age where you just want to fit in you kind of don't want to draw attention to yourself. But at the end of the day, this is your future, your life, and you got to do what's best for you. 
right? So don't be afraid. And most sometimes you think that you're alone in a, a certain situation, but most of the time you're pretty, there's other people around you that also feeling kind of isolated, right? So I know it takes a little bit of courage, but just even saying, hey, do you mind repeating that, miss? Or hey, to appear and say, do you mind if I photocopy your notes? Like those little small little things are different ways you could advocate for yourself. When you get comfortable with that, you're likely going to get comfortable to kind of raise your hand and say, I need a little bit more time for this. Can I write this in a quieter setting or something? The other thing that I would say to anybody who's listening, and if you're a high school student or a middle schooler or a university student, I would say that you'd be surprised if you went up to your educators and said, hey, did you know this about me? And how open they would be to hearing from you. Because I think anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, but those of us in education, for the most part, we are there because we want to support, help, and build up. And so what we need from you, speaking from the educator side, what we need from those of you who are struggling is that door for you to open up and say, hey, here are my struggles. Here's what I need. And especially sometimes in high school and middle school, the teacher's not necessarily writing, opening, or looking at that IEP individually. They might like have a list of kids who they know who are on IEPs, but they don't know the ins and outs. And so it is kind of important to go up to your teacher and be like, hey, did you know I was an IEP? Do you know what my accommodations are? And just kind of put it out there and say, these are the things that I'm going to need. Again, just like when we talk to our employer, right? Your teacher wants you to be successful and you want to be successful, but that only works if if everybody knows what road we're on. And if, if the teacher's yeah. on one road and you're on another road, it's pretty tough to use your compass analogy to all be going in the same direction on the compass, right? It's pretty, yeah. it, it can be tough, but it's hard. You're right. It's, it's not a, I don't want to use, not a good feeling. It's just a, I don't know. It's an awkward thing and it takes practice. Yeah, yeah it does take practice. It's a little bit uh, awkward. I mean, I know for myself, even after like university I was kind of a little bit still shy to kind of share that hey I was struggling in school or that I had a learning disability but one of the things I've learned I guess more so and just telling people what I do and sharing my story it helped me to get more comfortable but one of the things I said was that I went through this experience for a reason and it felt like if I didn't do something if I didn't tell other people like it'll be a dishonor or disservice to other students so I just feel like, I mean, I don't want to put everyone on the spot and feel like they have to be, you know, another trailblazer leader. <laughs> but, you know, just even you speaking up just that little one, you never know how that could impact someone else and kind of set a new path to help someone else also um, advocate for themselves. The other thing to remember, too, is there's often that, that, uh, that idea that, like, if you put up to ask your, your question, chances are five other people in the room have the same question. They just don't want to put up their hands. So I think it's yeah. one of those things you need to remember that just because you have the question, chances are there's at least one, probably several more who have the same, the same question. And I mean, I've certainly been in conferences and workshops where people are asking questions and I'm too afraid to ask the question, but somebody ends up asking my question anyway, because they have the same question. So I think that's an important one to remember. So what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions about individual education plans, also known as IEPs, that parents might have or that students might have? Because I think there is, for parents for sure, I don't know about students so much. Um, I certainly talk to my kids about their IEP, so for them it's completely normal that it exists and that it's in place and we go through it. But I think for 
parents who don't understand the in, the ins and outs and the whys, I think there's a big misconception. So what do you what are your sort of thoughts on what the misconceptions might be? I think there could is a couple. Um, from the student perspective, I think that the adults think that students understand their IEP and they know what it is. I mean, I, for example, I was diagnosed when I was in grade two. I knew I had this IEP thing and every once in a while I had to take it home to my mother, but I didn't know what it, what it was all about, right? So I think that's one of the misconceptions is that thinking that students understand what this IEP is and they hear these letters associated with their name and you know that they're an IEP student but what does that mean to them and I think that people um so that and because they don't also understand what's in the IEP and what the goals or the objectives or what's really going on right I mean the document is created for them to help them but if they don't know what it's about, then it's kind of just like, what's going on here? I think one of the other misconceptions from parents is too, that I feel like sometimes parents think that everything, I don't want to say that all the teachers know what's in the IEP mm-hmm. and that it's just automatically, oh, but it's in the IEP. So you should be doing this. Why is it it's in the IEP? So I think that's one of the misconceptions too. IEPs can be very complicated or very time consuming to put together for teachers. Um, So there's a lot that goes into it. I think sometimes that some parents, because they don't, they don't probably understand all the aspects of what's going on, especially from like the whole education system and what it is, but they probably just assume that that what's in the IEP is what their son or daughter is getting at school. And that's how things are going. And because I had to have the IEP that everything is being serviced and being done by all the teachers. And that's unfortunately not always the case. So just to be, and don't always automatically, you know, I say, take the time to really reflect on, look at what's in the IEP and especially the goal section. I tell parents to say that like, you know, if you're going to an interview and if the teacher is just telling you, oh, well, your child did this, 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 challenge them and say, okay, what did my child do well this year? Like you just kind of focusing on the negative aspect, but tell me what my child did well in. And if you see goals that are not progressing, then you need to kind of question them because we can't be going into, you know, high, like high school and still have a reading level of grade four. Like there's something going on here. You said, this is what the goals was in the IEP. This, we said, this is a plan and we're still not progressing, then we need to kind of relook at everything. So I just challenge people and like, don't be so passive and just accepting certain things. And also, but also understand that from parents, students to teachers, educators, there's a lot of different factors that go into this IEP. And so don't be so quick to just, I want to say, don't be so quick to judge. It's like, we really have to collaborate on this and come up with the best solution for this student at the end of the day. And I always tell people to be, I know more so when the student gets a little bit um, older, sometimes they're in the IEP meeting, but I feel like we need to be really, um, have that open discussion from the get-go with the student about their IEP, about their LD, because they are just kind of like sitting as like the fly on the wall and saying, oh, mommy has another meeting with the teacher because I have an IEP. 
oh, because I have an LD, daddy has to do this. Like, so it's kind of like this, they're taking in this information passively and you just don't really understand how it's sitting with them and what's, how it's kind of um, also molding their, their self-concept and how they, they, they view themselves, right? So I just say, be very open with this whole conversation about having a learning difference, having an IEP, help them to understand what it is, help them to under, know it's okay to advocate for themselves. And most importantly, understand that everyone that's sitting at this round table is here to support and help you. I think those are some great points. And I think I would just add that parents need to remember that as educators, we call these IEPs living documents. In other words, they can change. The goal can change. The outcomes dictate the goals. And so if the goal is met, even, you know, if the goal is made in September and the goal is met at Christmas, the goal can change. It does not need to stay the same. And I remember going through my own kids' IEP, because I go through them with a bit of a fine-tooth comb. Mm-hmm. One year, I remember I sent it back with, there were there were some alterations that I wanted made. And I remember looking at my husband, I was like, oh, the school's going to hate me, because here I am. And you know what? The teacher had the best response. She called me and she said, I appreciate that you have taken the time to go through this document because we take a lot of time and we take a lot of pride in putting it together. And the fact that you have looked at it and you know your child better than anybody. I think for me, I was like, okay, that validated that it was okay for me to nitpick and to feel like I was sending back, you know, 101 corrections. But at the end of the day, it meant a more successful outcome for everybody. And that whole team aspect that you're getting at between the parent and the student and the school and that whole thing, that's so important because everybody needs to be on the same page or nobody gets anywhere, right? So exactly. So important to have. So what do you think educators need to understand about parents or guardians, as the case may be, um, when they're advocating? And what should educators and sometimes employers, I mean, it depends a little bit, what do they need to understand about what the person needs um, when it comes to advocating or or how do they need to kind of see the person who's trying to advocate for themselves? So for educators, I think educators need to understand that a lot of parents, like this is new to a lot of parents and they're coming into the situation like wide open, don't know what to expect. And so they're really looking at you as their expert. Like they're really looking at you as their guide to kind of help them, um, giving them the best information and resources that could kind of help them to figure out how to support their their son or daughter. Um, They're really putting a lot of trust in in you and no pressure to the teachers out there. (laughs) But they- None at all, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Um, They're just really, yeah, they're really trusting you. And I think in, like we're in, Toronto, and I got to bring it back to kind of also understand that there are some families that are coming from different backgrounds and different cultures, where this is like something not unheard of, right? Like to come and say, tell them that their son or daughter has a learning disability, you're like, wait, what? Well, and I think it's a cultural thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I've certainly encountered families who just, who, who as parents understand that their child has a learning difference, but the rest of the family, the like... The extended, outsiders yeah. in the family just can't, they can't wrap their heads around it. And so I think as parents, you don't want to talk about it. You want to kind of draw inward and not, not create a, a wave. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you, exactly. Like you said, you just, as parents are probably, they're also feeling more isolated because it's kind of like their family can't support them in this or they can't talk to their family about 
this situation. They're looking for, you know, teachers and schools um, for guidance and help. And depending on the situation, sometimes they may not feel like they're getting the support. So they're also feeling very isolated and alone. And this may, so, you know, again, coming back to, like, let's say the student that's going to, that's in grade six in middle school, right? Maybe they had one, the parent and the student had one experience in grade five, and they're coming into a new school, they're kind of on that little bit of hesitation. They're a little bit anxious because like, this experience was bad. What's this experience going to be like too, right? So it's kind of, um, it's, I don't want to put blame on anything, but it's kind of sometimes like, you know, the new teacher, the new spec ed teacher receiving this student, they're kind of coming up on with other, other things in the IEP that are unwritten that they also have to understand and deal with, right? I think so, there's the back history too, right? Yeah. And to your point of like what happened in grade five can affect the feelings coming into grade six. And so building from the t- teacher and the administration, building that relationship with that family so that the family feels like they are encapsulated in the school and, and yeah. supported. Like, I think that's the most important piece. And it's hard to do that. I mean, I will admit as a teacher and an administrator, it's hard to do that, right? You've got 400 and 500, 600, 1,000 kids. You can't possibly, trying to encapsulate every family to that extent is hard. It's but I hard. think there are definitely certain families if they're in the early stages of diagnosis who are going to need a little more support, they're going to need a little more of your time. They're going to need a little bit more understanding and empathy. I think that's mm-hmm. the big one, right? Is maybe yeah, the empathy. Good word, empathy. Or those families who have either come to the school who are new to the school and have had a negative experience somewhere else, because this can happen, whether it's in the public system, in the private system, it doesn't matter. People come with their experiences and and you, you don't know where people are coming from until you sit down and have a conversation with them. So mm. I think that's, that's important. That's actually a really good point to like, just even highlight even more that everyone's coming with their own experiences. So I think um, in that, those kind of settings, whether it's a new school, just try to kind of have a conversation, try to be, <clears throat> as an educator, I would say, try to listen first a little bit and it's just kind of, yeah, <laughs> listen hard. first. It's hard for anybody. So just kind of listen first, because I think you could kind of tell by what the parent is saying and not saying, kind of get a little more of a sense, okay, they are just scared versus they're just actually looking for information and guidance or they're just looking for some kind of support and empathy right now because they have nowhere else you know they could get it from and i don't Um, know if you've had this experience and i haven't mm -hmm. had it from my educational consultant side but i've certainly had it from my teacher and administration side the language barrier so we talked about being in toronto and the diverse cultures the language barrier sometimes can be the biggest block And Mm -hmm. I think my piece of advice, if I can leave a a tiny snippet from myself in this conversation, is there are systems and programs in place that provide translation services. And those are the things you want to get, right? When you're having those, you know, those school team meetings or the IEP meetings or parent-teacher interviews, like getting a hold of, finding out from, you know, whoever you need to find out from how to get into the translation services or suggest to the parents, hey, bring somebody who speaks English who can help with that so that you try to minimize A, the stress, but B, the misunderstandings, right? Because those can happen. Yeah. That's a big thing that a lot of parents don't realize that they could bring someone into those meetings with them. You to can bring an advocate. Absolutely. Advocate, yeah. 
it could be just like someone to help advocate someone to translate and if needed just be someone to be that shoulder for you that support in that situation i yeah, sometimes that, relate it back like, to you know when you go to the doctor to get news on a test no matter what no matter what it is bringing that other person in to hear what the doctor has to say because you're hearing all of the information but sometimes you get a piece of news you weren't expecting and your brain it's not that your brain shuts off but i think you stop being able to listen to the information exactly but if you have somebody else there who can give you hey did you hear when the doctor said and you can be like no i, I missed that completely so <laughs> yeah it's it's important to do for sure exactly um, so do you have any book recommendations for parents? Are there books that you, you know, maybe in your talks, you suggest the parents look at certain books or certain um, maybe websites or pieces of information resources for them? So the couple's things, I, I can't say like hard, like hard concrete books. Um, I do think of the psychology of success and Carol Dweck, that book, because it really talks about growth and fixed mindset. And just in this, um, dealing with this i think that language is also very important to with students and how you're talking to them because some students can be so i feel like sometimes in certain cases that some students could just be attribute their learning disabilities as something on them and just kind of adopt a more fixed mindset closed mindset and kind of think or learn helplessness and kind of think okay why bother even trying right so i think in that case, in her book, she talks a lot, like I said, about growth and mindset, how to adapt a growth mindset, helping kids to be more mindful of the language that they're using. So I'm having a hard, I, I don't know my multiplications yet, but I'm going to work hard to get there, to learn these times tables, right? I think that's really important. And not even just for like, you know, in terms of like helping stu a student learn uh, disability, but just in general, adopting more growth mindset. Um, for older kids, and I guess someone that's going to post-secondary, I would recommend um, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And I feel like- She's awesome. Yeah, she is really find awesome. Find her on TED Talks, she's awesome. Yeah, you can find her on TED Talks, you can find Carol Dweck on TED Talks as well too. But she really talks about a lot of vulnerability and shame. One of the things she says about vulnerability is that, you you know, we see vulnerability as a weakness, but it's actually a strength. So I want, and for me at the time when I was in school, I kind of thought this was my weakness, right? But I realized, hey, no, this is not my weakness, this is my strength. But when I was able to step into that arena of being vulnerable, I was actually really feel like I was able to come into like my full self. So I want others to realize that too, that, you know, having a learning difference is not, it's definitely not a weakness, but this is like, a, it's a great characteristic. It's a great attribute, right? And don't be uh, quick to hide or to be reserved with yourself and, you know, be open to embracing that whole arena of being vulnerable because we're going to have to embrace it one day when it's, you know, whether it's in academics, whether you're talking about the workforce or just even in a, a relationship, our relationships, right? So those are a couple of the things. I do also recommend, she's another person that has TED Talks and a lot of YouTube channels, Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she is a cognitive like neuroscientist and talks a lot about how our thoughts really impact our 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 thoughts really impact our the structure of our, our mind, our brain, right? So kind of in that my whole realm of positive thinking. Mm 
but she has a lot of episodes that talk also about dealing with helping children that are dealing with um, anxiety or special anxiety or issues about trauma not to say that this could but you know if we're talking about experiences you don't you know, know what? anything's possible anything's possible right so she does have a lot of talks about this and a lot of things that helped me in um, personally and professionally in my role and everything I do is special compass so those are like the three uh, TED talks books resources I encourage people to check out those are great ones Okay. Well, Shakira, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you. Shakira and I met a number of years ago at a conference and we have always tried to kind of connect. So it was so nice to be able to connect with you today. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, How can people find out more about you and where can they find you? They could find me uh, on my website at www.specialcompass.ca. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, all the social medias at Special Compass Canada reach out to me there. I also have my personal page at the LD advocate as well too on Instagram. And yeah, I'm all over the place. Um, And this fall, I'll be hopefully coming to more schools in the community and working on more workshops and programs. Amazing. Thanks so much, Shakira. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are looking for help and support in creating a roadmap to success for your child through challenging times, contact me at accesstoeducation.com. I work with all families to help them build power and knowledge in understanding their child's needs and how to build success through advocacy. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at accesstoeducationtoronto. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so together we can create your roadmap to success.